Welcome back to another episode of the Uptown Punks. Um, this is a really special one because um, I forgot my microphone cable. So, <laughs> <laughs> ex, ex, excuse this. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, yeah, well, apologies if my voice sounds a little crackly. But um, yeah, this makes you appreciate the fine arts of technology. Um, but other than that, Tim, who is our guest today? Our guest is um, a very interesting man indeed. He's a um, director at um, one of the big four. And uh, he will talk today about Robocops at uh, Wall Street, financial crime, money laundering, and all these things that move the financial world. I mean, well, that challenge the financial world, sorry. <laughs> so, um, if you all, so if you are like Robocop and like a good Terminator movie even, because it's yeah. quite similar, I would say, um, you're definitely going to enjoy this episode. So, yeah. Right. Listen, Listen in and enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. Ganz ohne werden wir es nicht hinkriegen, glaube ich. Hm. Kein Problem. Wir lassen uns nicht rausbringen. Hm? Ja. So, a very warm welcome and um, hello to Michael Burns or Michael Burns uh, from PwC. We are here today for another episode of the Uptime Punks. And today we are actually diving in a bit of a different world, um, namely the world of finance and banking um, and AI. Well, we've talked about AI before, but maybe not about banking and finance so much. Um, the reason we do this is that we have seen in the last couple of months, perhaps some headlines, I'm sure all of you have seen. And uh, we know also that this sector is one of the sectors that, um, let's put it bluntly, pours the, the most of money into AI uh, currently. And uh, also has some very uh, interesting challenges to solve. And for this, we have, um, yeah, Michael Burns here as our expert, and he's an AI leader and the director at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And he has written a book or a chapter in a book called The Robocop of Wall Street, um, which sounds very promising. But first of all, hi, Michael, how are you doing today? Hey, Tim, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing very well. Uh, finally, winter seems to be at, at its end and uh, we get into spring here uh, in Frankfurt. Yeah, so you're back in Frankfurt. I know that you've been to London. Here it's like just kind of grayish. You never know what you get. In the morning, sun, you get the tank top out and then in the afternoon it's just gray again. So I hope your weather is a little bit more reliable over there. Yeah, um, I, I remember the, the cliche winters with lots of uh, kind of foggy and no sun at all um so i'm kind of delighted to see a bit of a difference here yep. yeah great so um it's been two years you, you just told me that you've um that you're back in frankfurt before you were well i guess moving all around the world and especially in london um and just to get for the audience to kind of get to know you we would like to know from you the usual uh three facts or four facts namely what your first computer was 
Hey, um, I have to be honest here and say that I didn't own a computer till very late. It was uh, some time in my dissertation where I borrowed a Atari ST from a friend to then write my my work on. So I was just getting uh, kind of used to that. It was uh, strange, um, but eventually then I, I got my own PC. But that was in the days when you know you had a 56k modem to access the internet, and uh, feels very long ago now. Yeah. All right, all right. So um, it's kind of it's kind of uh, interesting to see how uh, even the leaders or in, in tech and very complicated matters such as AI sometimes started out quite late. Um, Amanda Brock, whom we've um, talked to lately, um, she's also said, "Yeah, I, I always wanted to do programming, but I kind of failed at it." And now she's the CEO of uh, Open Open UK, one of the biggest. Uh, open source organizations and advocates worldwide actually and uh, yeah funny to see so i guess you you've kind of caught caught up now and um, i'm sure you you also re remember your first mobile phone uh, oh um again that would have been maybe <laughs> around 2000 some uh, Nokia or something. I, I, I don't remember exactly. But maybe on, on the point of, of tech, I mean, I've always had an interest. One of my grandfathers is an engineer. But it was actually my parents. They're both uh, language teachers. So I always had an interest in, in language and interpretation, uh, interpretation of language in terms of English and um, the meaning and intent uh, of language, different connotations, that's something that fascinated me from an early age. And it was more that angle that got me to artificial intelligence and NLP rather than, uh, oh, um, I've been programming or um, dealing with tech from an early age. It was really more the interpretation of language that fascinated me. Yeah, so there, there is definitely um, like AI applications in there as well. I guess we can talk more into um, uh, into depth about this later and, and dig into financial sector use cases of um, NLP and all that. Um, but for now, just um, we're the Uptime Punks and we want to know from each of our guests um, how they define uptime because uptime is a notion in the data center um, industry. It's about availability and never being down and always having the services and service and all that available. But um, we kind of try to enlarge that notion a little bit and to see what our guests um, think about it because there's a private life definition to uptime, there's a business definition to uptime, there's out-of-the-book technological definitions of uptime. But um, yeah, we would like to know from you what's your definition of uptime. Oh, wow. Um, I, I'm, part of my role at PwC is also um, as a product owner. So I kind of, depending on the, the different clients we serve with that particular product, I, I like to be in line with what the client expects. So um, for what we do, it's not essential, but it is a main efficiency drive within the company powered by uh, AI, if you want, and, and uh, uptime in that case is defined by 
being able to tell the clients that for 99% of the time, they will be able to, to access the service without any delay or, or issues. But I've not applied uptime to my private life just yet. Maybe you could also say that's the time at night when my little one wakes up and uh, I have to spend with my wife time to put her back to bed. Um, that would be a different definition of uptime. Huh? Yeah, that, that's exactly the kind of definition we are, uh, we're after because in the end, even the data center uptime is nothing else than what humans need and are capable of delivering. Um, if, if you get me like this human touch, because the data centers actually um, have really proven to be the backbone of, of our digital society, even more during the pandemic. The reason why we started this um, podcast, just to remind everyone who's listening out there why we do this, and also for you, Michael, um, why this question. Um, and so basically, uh, we think that uptime is, well, just the thing that allows us to continue to live and play and work and uh, uh, all that. So definitely there is a legitimacy in your in your definition about when you, when you get up at night. I think we will hear her uh, perhaps in the background some uh, later on because you, you just said she's, she's making some... Uh, She's making yeah, herself she has plenty of energy, right? So for her, yeah. uptime is the, defined as the time when she's running around and, and shouting, and that's fine. Yes. Yeah. Great. But she doesn't have so much uptime, right? The, the babies normally just sleep, don't they? Like they sleep loads. Yeah, like, when, I when they're like half a year old or one year old, yes. But once they get to two and uh, explore the world uh, on their own and... and uh, uh, yeah, then then it uh, changes a little bit. Uh, so yeah, we'll see about this. All right. Yeah. So um, I guess uptime uh, uptime for your daughter is um, is 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 forcefully or like forcingly also uptime for you. Yeah. So let's let's dig into some topics and and what you do at the moment. Um, you're actually on this podcast because you wrote um, a chapter in a book called the word. Robocop on Wall Street. And um, but before that, just maybe your job title is director and AI and fintech at Pricewaterhouse. So how? And then you're a product owner as well. So what do you do on a daily basis? What, what what's your what, what's your job? What's your role? What's your mission? <laughs> sure. At a very high level, I'm trying to make uh, the company as well as our clients more digital. Of course, it would be great if I could promise everyone that I built a deep learning uh, neural network for them and, and uh, come around with the, the latest and greatest uh, artificial intelligence tools and, and solutions. Um, but the truth is, um, it depends on the maturity of the environment that you're talking about, and therefore, depending on what the client needs and where they are at, you have different uh, solutions available. Um, we also, as, as PwC, we want to become more digital ourselves in order to also then tailor our um, advice to, to increase our understanding, to, to really um, kind of advise from a, a place of knowledge and, and uh, insights on, on that technology. So then we are building um, digital solutions that are 
used internally, but also then um, advise clients on, on the use of AI and, and, and fintech in, in other instances. Yeah, yes, exactly. So um, especially, I think, for, for big data in general, there are um, a couple of industries um, that have adopted it, uh, if not almost all industries, but the financial um, and banking and insurance sector seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, still the one who is leading uh, with pilot projects. Is that correct? Um, I haven't done a study on this, but PwC has. And I think it's it's uh, financial services is probably number three or so. Uh, before that, mm -hmm. you have uh, healthcare and the adoption in there. And you might have uh, manufacturing and and. Uh, to some extent, uh, automotive as well. So, but it really—it's very hard to make a general statement globally. It really depends on the country and what is kind of at the forefront. Um, when you look at Germany, then automotive, uh, in terms of GDP and other things, has a much more important role to play than banking. But if we're talking about the UK, then uh, financial services is, I believe, about seven percent of. GDP and therefore uh, even a small change in there would have a big impact and you see those uh, different amounts being being spent on this and you see a different setup of financial services institutions there than you see here. So it all, all depends on where the industry is at in, in which country to really say, okay, this is the leading one. I think um, what you can probably say is that wherever there's uh, vast amounts of data at the same time where there is a lot of, let's say, cost pressures or a lot of drive for innovation, then this kind of creates a setup and there are many other factors too to um, really have no choice but to try uh, new types of innovation, uh, whether it's um, AI, blockchain, IoT, and many others to, to, to uh, overcome those those hurdles and therefore the health system is under pressure in uh, US uh, and UK but during COVID of course also here so we will start to see more digital things but uh, let's say after the financial crisis and um, the, the some of the regulatory fines that were issued it was the financial sector that really had to look out outside of themselves for other solutions um, several mm -hmm. years back. So would you say that they have the, the challenges that are the most pressing or is the financial sector the one who has the largest uh, amounts of data available or the best access to it? So what is it then that distinguishes them uh, a little bit from the others? Or are the challenges just of, of a different nature? I mean, if you read the headlines, to be frank, especially in Germany, there's like this, this regulatory um, things, you can read it all over. This is... I, I think, and then again, challenger banks that yeah, no, of that course, play a role. No, I so mean, it's 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 like stuff that 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 makes you wonder just mm. how they deal with with AI, and you, you don't necessarily. I mean, automotive, uh, of course, but other sectors just don't make that much noise. And, and probably, yeah, no, sure, they they all have yeah. slightly different challenges. I mean, for me, um, my my own journey, let's say, into big data, machine learning, and, and so on began 2013 um, after a couple of years where I was a startup mentor. 
and then I had my first exposure to uh, Silicon Valley startups who were using London as a hub to to enter the European market. So I was kind of getting a good view of artificial intelligence in the early days, first as a mentor and then um, changed my whole career around to really get closer uh, to this. So from the financial services side, um, the pressures around 2012-2013 when, when I started looking into this um, were that after the financial crisis it took the regulators some some years to really um, come up with uh, Basel 4, um, sorry Basel 3 at that point, um, liquidity risk, um, lots of new regimes but then also in parallel investigate some of, some of the things that had been going wrong earlier and that uh, I talk about uh, LIBOR, I talk about FX collusion, um, I talk about front running, all of those those issues that are you could say in the compliance domain and they are um, difficult to, to figure out unless you really have access to a lot of data and from the regulatory point of view it was in around those times of years when uh, in the UK alone you had around uh, 1.4 billion uh, pounds fines for I think the six largest banks and some more uh, while in the US you then had SEC and other um, regulatory bodies uh, fining some of the largest institutions there also for uh, in some cases billions of dollars in, in terms of anti-money laundering financial crime those were the areas but they they didn't really have enough um, to, to really investigate this in the early years. So it, it was uh, came with a delay, but those fines were so big that the institutions really had to think about a new approach. And maybe um, you can bring in FinTech and RegTech here. Um, I was, uh, before the financial crisis, I was at Morgan Stanley. At some point it felt like we were developing where like 50% of us are developing solutions for for our clients and, and internally um, the financial crisis then meant that this was changing um, dramatically and it was more acceptable to use solutions from from the outside market so the kind of the first wave of fintech uh, the first tech kind of wave then of, of regtech and some of the solutions uh, in the market that would help to um, see clearer to find the, the kind of the literal needle in the haystack if you want uh, in the in the communication and um, yeah I, I joined some of these companies in, in that space and was um, working with uh, like uh, a number of the top 10 banks in the world to to help them avoid those type of regulatory fines of 200 million to over a billion Sorry, I just my neighbor uh, with with a large <laughs> Harley Davidson uh, who took off. Uh, maybe I no so maybe maybe not. So you see, everyone has its uh, <laughs> sources Different of distraction. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how we roll. Um, nothing stops us. So um, basically, in a summary, I guess there is the the why of uh, AI in in uh, in, uh, in 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 finance. So 
So for me, um, let's say I've, I've worked in financial services throughout my whole career, so these kind of uh, 17, 18 years, um, on and off with different parts of it, banking mainly, but then insurance, asset management, and then I've done some, some work in healthcare and government. But financial services, it's not by nature um, the most innovative industry, but it, it does come up with uh, innovative solutions when, when it has to. And, you know, financial crisis plus increasing regulation plus kind of the sometimes the, the margins and, and the kind of market pressure that just creates a setup where they really had to innovate um, to survive. And it's, it's a case, you mentioned the challenger banks as well, um, where it's it's a fought over marketplace who owns the the customer who owns the data of the customer what do you do with it how do you grow um, your market share and so on so it's it's a dynamic uh, place it's not always been like this but it's certainly been like this in the last five to ten years okay okay so just to like clarify your take on the whole subject there is a book it's called the ai book you wrote a chapter in that um mm -hmm. it's called the robocop on wall street if i'm not if i rem remember correctly or the wall street robocop and it's not your term um because i've read that before but can you just briefly outline what's your main argument and what's that robocop metaphor got to do uh in in a, in, a, in an AI book, why why would we need a RoboCop? How how what's that metaphor? Um, for me, it's it's kind of how uh, I could describe the the rise of regtech, so technology that is there for regulatory use and then also for supervisory use, and that's the the RoboCop, right? Where the 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 market forces, the regulators, the central banks. Um, have other means to control the marketplace, but also the banks themselves have to smarten up to, to use some of those tools to uh, prevent themselves to do something wrong. So to get more transparency in terms of what their traders are doing, in terms of any wrongdoings, to, to get to the bottom of financial crime. And honestly, when, when uh, I was working in my last role, it, at times, it, it did feel like um, Minority Report also, where if you can analyze the communication uh, in near time of half a bank or an entire bank uh, and can help them to, to find the, the, let's say, ticking hand grenades or kind of in some cases also spot um, financial crime early on, um, it, it was really like uh, proactive crime prevention in some cases before something serious could happen. And, you know, you couldn't say, yes, you, you achieved this by using um, communication surveillance and listening in. But for American institutions, um, as soon as you become a member of the firm, uh, all your communication is um, owned by that institution. So whether you use their company mobile, their uh, telecommunication system, the chat or email, all of this belongs to them. 
and they will definitely use that to protect themselves um, from from uh, financial crime. And, and in my opinion, it's a good thing. When I look at the German market, um, it's not that we are, let's say, uh, free from from scandals or financial crime doesn't happen here. It's more there needs to be different ways to dealing with this and maybe better ways to detect it early. Okay, yeah, this this means um, that there is, I guess, this use case pretty pressing and pretty challenging. Is there, are there some other use cases that you see? I mean, obviously, but what are the other use cases for AI and uh, machine learning that you see in finance? Sure, I mean, Apart from the the book uh, that was also published last year, I also published the AI and financial services uh, PwC study uh, last year. And um, the initiatives that we see in our clients, many we've also helped them uh, to build out were um, around improving efficiency overall. So whether you call this like um, uh, term sheet an analysis or document analysis, automating some of those parts, kind of finding uh, certain um, terms in them automatically or spotting if something is omitted. Um, so that would be around the efficiency, but then uh, general cost savings with, with AI, personalization with chatbots, uh, offerings that are tailored to customers. What I found uh, most interesting there was you know, we, we had about 150 people participating in the study. And um, even from some of the Swiss private banks that were participating, we heard that they are now going digital. So what was previously um, a discussion with a um, very experienced private banker is now a the uh, customer or private banking client can use digital channel to prepare himself for that discussion to kind of look into a number of suggestions to go through uh, some things that might be relevant to them. So to really go into that discussion with the private banker, well-informed and kind of already having some specific questions and making this even more meaningful. So they go like a, a hybrid way. And that is some of the, the oldest you know, financial services setup that you can imagine in terms of private banking or uh, kind of this um, uh, trust that exists really between um, the, the, the the client and, and the advisor. Mm -hmm. um, but then, of course, the, the use case that I mostly talk about, because that's been um, kind of my bread and butter for the last few years, is the compliance, financial crime laws uh, angle um, that goes uh, not only for uh, compliance surveillance, but also to um, anti-money laundering, uh, KYC, those areas, um, anywhere where you have vast amounts of data, in this case, transactions, you now need to get the geocoding right. You, you have to um, look into the, the, the different um, signals, certain patterns. All of these are areas where machine learning um, can be applied to and where um, a pure rule-based system might not uh, uncover everything. And then, I mean, you mentioned the neobanks earlier and the challenges. I mean, some of the institutions are using that to, to launch fully digital um, kind of um, 
smaller firms, um, startups that are founded out uh, of existing institutions, um, new challenger banks come to really develop new new business models um, um, that couldn't exist otherwise, right? So when they was based in London, um, in, in uh, level 39 in um, Canary Wharf, uh, on the same floor we had Revolut, we had eToro, and a number of other uh, unicorns in, in, in that space. And then, yeah, the expansion and securing the, the market share, this is maybe more enriching insights on, on clients. So uh, what are the signals that a client might leave you? Um, what are the kind of things that you could find in public sources about them? How do you make your uh, customer relationship management system um, better at predicting kind of the next, the best action or um, what products to offer a certain client? And, and yeah, that's also a very exciting space even when you think about, um, you know, um, e-banking to zero, kind of the, the further build out of, of offerings with a more personal touch to it, but with a, a quite a targeted approach, really. Okay, yeah. So um, there's, there's definitely numbers of use cases, I guess you are, um, more fascinated by the bad guys than the good guys, if I may say so. Um, because you, one could even say that actually the PwC is the RoboCop on Wall Street, or, or how would you see the the role? Of, I, I think um, it's 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 um, of course we we have to adhere to um, a lot of quality criteria in our different lines of services, whether that's consulting, um, assurance and tax and legal. So we always try to, to do, um, the, the right thing. It's, it's not our remit to, to catch the bad guys, but we, uh, can certainly help to, um, uh, financial services institution and others to, to, um, strengthen their, uh, defense mechanisms, right? To 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 flag up uh, things and to to create higher transparency in terms of what's going on. But for me personally, uh, I I'm I'm fascinated uh, by language and the intent and meaning in language. So when when I uh, used to deal with traded chat or some of those uh, use cases, it was the the fact that some uh, traders would try to avoid detection, so they kind of start using F1X for fix, or they start using um, some foreign language in a normally English text, or they start playing with a fast food menu as, as code words. So we, we've seen a lot of this, right? And when you have a good solution in play. What do you mean a fast food menu? Is it like, oh, two Big Macs and one Whopper is on the way? <laughs> um, it's, it's like, um, <laughs> Like these these people, they try to um, use different channels, and then they try to to when when you looked at the 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 large um, collusion cases around LIBOR, um, they try to to go off channel. So they they put something in in Bloomberg chat, and but then they go off channel, and when they go on their private phones or some of the um, uh, chats that have been shared, they they use. Uh, uh, like as if they would be going to lunch and, and then today I'm taking this. And 
if you're not looking closer or you're not sensing the pattern that this is always suddenly before the, the fix in the market and uh, whenever the, the guy wants the other one to push the price up or something, you, you might miss this. But uh, the human brain, you know, we, we can only hold so many thoughts and facts up at the same time or focus on so many things. The, the AI solution can kind of look at the the, the chats from, from months and years back and see, is there a, a pattern there that goes all the way through? Is there like a certain time of day, a certain kind of phrasing around this, even though you might not immediately see that this is what it means. Is there certain financial products involved? Um, what is the combination of factors that could be used to, to construe something, right? And then um, it's, it's, it's this combination where as a human, you would get lost. You would think, oh, uh, this is a massive haystack. I have no chance in hell finding finding that needle. But uh, from from a solution angle, you might you might still find a lot of uh, false positives initially. But you you will get better at spotting spotting the real things that that matter. Yeah. Talking about false positives, I, I've just read read about this case. Quickly sharing it here, just because I have a question after that. There, mm -hmm. there was a Swiss guy, um, beginning of the pandemic, he was um, mandated by the federation if, uh, to buy masks, right? Mm -hmm. And the federation paid him in advance a couple of several millions um, of Swiss francs. And he got that into his account and his bank, I'm not gonna name her here, um, they raised uh, a, a, an AML case and um, indicated that to the uh, FINMA, I believe, so to the authority that this may be like some money laundering or some... So you don't need to know the case, but I think it's just like this false positives because in the end, it was a legit, legit business, a legit payment. And it was even crucial that this payment arrives in time and that the guy gets the money to buy the masks. And in the end, because of these false positives, the masks weren't delivered, and the guy um, mandated delivering the masks. He he lost well, he lost lots of money. So lose lose quite lose 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 because the bank now well. They I'm are, sure the uh, bank had to uh, cover with an insurance or something. That's that's or... currently uh, being discussed in front of a judge. Um, mm. So it's a penal and a civil affair currently, but it shows that. Um, yeah, it's but Michael, a, a different question. Uh, yeah. Michael, do you think do you think that computers can outsmart humans? That's um, what that, that 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 was yeah. my question because in the <laughs> end, what you would want to do with NLP and and this stuff to detect, you know, criminals. I mean, of course, of course, when it comes to banking, you will have the yeah. blockchain there. This will be unavoidable. But we're not talking about blockchain. We're talking about AI here. Yeah. Do you think Do you think AI will completely will AI make life easier for us humans? Or do you think it will completely replace human, um, not I wouldn't say jobs, but tasks, yeah, which would be done on a daily basis? Over over the last years, I've often really had to speak to other experts about this. Some call themselves futurists, and others are just really interested in there. So personally, I feel that, um, sure, it will be a disruption, and it will, in some ways, 
redistribute the wealth uh, around the globe. Yeah, and we've we've produced some studies at PwC how much that could be. Um, the last one that I've seen was around. $15.7 trillion, so quite a big amount that gets redistributed due to AI. But I feel that, um, let's say, let's say for Germany, for example, we are already quite, um, maybe not uh, the, the most uh, digital, but we're quite automated in um, a lot of those functions. The disruption for um, countries like South Korea, Germany, US, and, and so on, will be less than some of the developing countries. Overall, what you will see is um, some uh, jobs will become less and less important and others will be created. So like the role that I'm often in is like a translator role or somebody who doesn't uh, program or develop the solution, but works with clients and others to understand better what is the potential and to leverage that potential. And then there's people that maintain it. So different jobs will be created. I don't think that um, it will fully automate it. I, I personally, it's, it's like the, the fusion reactor, right? We are always 10 years away. And that's something that I've been seeing um, since 2013, that general AI, full human capacity is 10 years away. And, and that's probably not going to change uh, anytime soon. But what I can tell you is that in terms of AI solutions, uh, in these eight years or so, what has changed is that much more of the basic building blocks is available off the shelf. So you can go and buy um, voice to text. You can go and buy a, a simple, um, a, a quick and dirty chatbot if you want. You can go and get um, good building blocks in terms of um, uh, image recognition for certain components in a car, for an accident, for an insurance. So you see that one by one, there is a, a basic stack that is available for companies and others to really build their solutions on. And that will drive a lot more of the distribution and understanding. So there, there's like a, a general level of AI that's baked into more and more products that you use every day. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, some human will be fully replaced. I think the, the best surveys and the best results you still get um, as a combination of uh, human and machine. But when I think about the things I've done in financial services, the ones uh, in government or also in healthcare, it's usually there is a situation where there's market pressures, People are overworked, not enough staff, whatever it is. That pressure doesn't result in ideal outcomes from a human side. So it's the, the machine's job or the solution's job to prioritize, to, to flag things up that otherwise wouldn't have been found, to build connections where human alone wouldn't be able to. So kind of really be an intelligent assistant, but not really re to replace. So when I've taken financial services institution on that journey, sometimes of several hundred people, it's important that you take them with you. And it's not about replacing them. It's kind of making some of the routine tasks go away. And when it comes to financial crime, for example, let them focus their attention on the really serious cases, the really ones which 
require a lot of attention and where you need a lot more uh, detailed investigation rather than clicking through you know hundreds of emails a day and saying uh, false positive not relevant and so on so it's it's a it's a kind of a refocus um, I would say yeah Oh, yeah. So, yeah, great stuff. Just to um, come back to my question before, I guess we've just seen a situation where now this compliance and, and, and fraud thing has become so big that that's my opinion or my impression, not opinion, let's say impression, that banks tend to pull the trigger much quicker just to be sure. Like, it's easier to have 100 false positives than one false negative do you know what i mean they prefer to raise an aml case quicker in order to be sure to be on the safe side do you see this really going away with ai do you think this can minimize the problem to an extent where it's like not a problem anymore um, so i mean i've i've kind of helped banks to discuss that with regulators where sometimes in some jurisdictions that the regulators didn't fully understand uh, the models that were applied, but they were always, when, when they looked at the stats and the fact that now you don't just sample, you look at everything that comes in and then apply something. So they're always convinced at the end, but sometimes communicating this approach and so on um, can be difficult. Can you catch everything? No, but I think um, you will be much better at catching emerging things. So things that haven't really formed where maybe there's something new. It's it's like probably as old as the financial markets itself, right? The first stock exchanges or um, that, um, you know, there's a new product being created. Uh, London in the last three, 400 years was always at the forefront for a lot of those financial products. And then there, it's used in a certain way, but after a while and its own success, it's then kind of either rebranded or used, uh, made into something else. So when you think about mortgage-backed securities or CDSs, uh, structured products that were widely used in the um, United States uh, before the financial crisis, um, when you think about this, some of them were created to hedge, uh, like CDSs, um, others were, created to, to even be able to uh, analyze a pool of mortgages. So they were not there to speculate, but sometimes the success of these financial products means that um, it's, uh, it, it, it's used in a different way than originally intended. So from a regulatory side or financial crime perspective, you, you are automatically on the back foot. You can only write regulation to the things that you have observed in a certain time frame and then can judge. So sometimes you find out afterwards in terms of liquidity, other aspects that, yeah, the what you had in mind in terms of risk factors for a certain financial products were not sufficient and it needs to be judged or looked at in a, in a different way. All right. Uh, yeah, let's wrap this up. Um, and come back quickly to this report you've mentioned. Um, I think it was published in May 2020 about the adoption of AI in the financial sector. And there is a CDO quoted that, well, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, 
if you don't step up the game now, 12 months from now, we're going to be lost. Well, we're um, approaching the 12 months pretty quickly. Um, it's soon in May. How do you think the situation has evolved? Has any progress been made or uh, is shit going to hit the fan? Sorry. No, I, um, like, I mean, um, with like 150 participants and experts on AI for, for that study, I think maybe not all of them have evolved, but personally, and as far as the, the becoming more digital and more interest in AI goes, I, I think I've seen quite a step, step up in um, the German banking landscape in terms of interest in the topic and for the smaller institutions to really get started with big data and even building the infrastructure and for the larger ones to really go even more aggressive after other use cases than before. So I would say particularly Corona, if anything, it's given an additional kick uh, to, to new initiatives and, and digital initi initiatives, including um, AI. So I would say that this uh, has not the quote, but the, the situation as such has led to um, a, a, a quite a change. And um, I think the, the German institutions are seeing the, the challenges coming from, from China, from US and so on. And they know that they have to up their game in this regard. Mm. So final question, what's your take on the financial big data cluster or uh, more general Gaia X in this, in this whole story? Do you think it's going to succeed in, uh, in a useful, how do you say, in a time that still allows for uh, action to be applied or how? Um, that's a really tough question because I mean, <laughs> sorry I'm, about that. I'm uh, as the um, uh, I'm like I um, we are participating from PwC as um, associated partner for uh, financial big data cluster. So of course I, I want those things to succeed. Of course I see that let's say from a German perspective and from a European perspective we also need to up our game. We cannot wait, um, like we, let's say 20 years ago, we waited for the internet to be delivered to us from the US. There was AOL, there was a number of other um, ISPs. Um, a lot of companies like Google were uh, created. So basically offering us everything around the internet. Today, there's hardly any uh, German company that is playing in this, nor is there any European one. Now, if we wait a lot longer and don't manage to get those big initiatives off the ground, regardless of the obstacles, we will um, still have choices in a couple of years. But it will be, do I use AliCloud or do I use Google or AWS or Microsoft? So um, these are not bad choices, but they're not European choices. So maybe we do need to understand the topic better and we do need to um, build our own cluster and, and really look into um, you know, the um, GDPR and, and regulations that are um, tailored for, for Europe to, to make something like this uh, possible. So it's, not, it's certainly not an easy um, project to get this off the ground. But I, I still have hope, and I try my best to to contribute. 
Excellent stuff. Okay, so mm. um, I would say there is probably lots more to cover, but um, we need to be time conscious and we also need to keep um, some good stuff for maybe later. And yeah, it was a pleasure having you. And as usual, I would say I leave the stage to you for some final words for the, as Paul likes to say, generations to come. Well, um, first of all, thanks again for, for having me, uh, Tim and, and Paul. It was an interesting discussion. Uh, never thought about other definitions for uptime and, and all this, but um, it's, it's great that you and, and your listeners have an interest in artificial intelligence. And um, if you have any uh, questions on the topic, I'm easy to find on uh, LinkedIn. Just look for AI Thought Leader, and um, you find a lot of my past publications and articles on there, maybe then uh, a chance for you to, to ask some questions or um, anything that I can help to, to kind of accelerate your journey, um, trying out some, some AI uh, elements, some AI solutions, I would be happy to. Great stuff. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for uh, being with us. And uh, yeah, see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Great, Tim. This was, I mean, remarkable stories, remarkable storytelling, the Robocop, the Terminator, the Fall Street. Um, Tim, maybe, what, what was your learnings out of this? Um, I think the learning out of this is that everybody further interested in the material should register for our event on the 5th and 6th of May. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the event about on the 5th and 6th of May, Tim? <laughs> it is about, hmm, let me think. No, it's, 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 it's an event that is we've about put Robocops? together. It's about yes, Robocops? It's about, it's about Robocops. And uh, if you... If you if like you put, Terminator, you should yeah. come and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All jokes aside, we've put it together with um, some partners of us. And um, basically, the thing is, um, the, the, the story we want to tell there is how to solve challenges of the financial world with big data. That's that's more or less it. And um, I think this episode fits fits beautifully uh, into, into this topic which is why i make uh, i advertise this event so shamelessly in the outro um but uh, honestly the learnings i think is that um well it's a complicated world and we can only hope that you know ai and uh, the robocops will come and save us and make it less complicated than uh, it already is um right so uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, thank you very much for listening in and see you next week. Stay negative. <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> no, time mate, since no, I no, said no, that. No, 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 mate. It's keep a positive mind and stay negative. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. And oh, by the way, guys, we're going to have something really, oh, yeah. really, really, really <laughs> I mean, negative. That... Negative coming in the coming weeks and yeah yeah uh, we're gonna bring well i mean I, since i was it? a small boy i always wanted to be a journalist so i tried myself a journalism let's see if i hit the nail on the head with that one but let's see anyways don't forget to subscribe 
on Google Podcasts, Spotify. Where else are we? Apple Music. Yeah, um, and everywhere else where you can find podcasts. <laughs> <Cheers>. <laughs> yeah, anyways, right. take care. Bye.